Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. All right, this morning, what a great, what a great, hey, all right, I like that. Nice, yeah. Great morning to be here. We're, uh, if you've been here over the past number of weeks, we've been talking about Jesus. What a, great, what a great topic. Jesus is what our faith is all about. We've been focusing on the words of Jesus, in particular, this phrase, when you. Uh, Jesus, he was a visionary. And Jesus was also a missionary. In other words, Jesus had a vision. He was looking forward to something as he was here on the earth, looking forward to something to come. And he went on a mission to accomplish the vision. And what was his vision? What was Jesus looking toward? And we could probably talk about that and maybe come up with different, uh, different focuses, I'll say. But I just narrow it down to Jesus. His vision was to open the kingdom of God to everyone. That's, that was his ultimate. That's where he was going. And he had a mission. He had a mission. He went on a mission to fulfill that vision. To fulfill this opening of the kingdom to everyone. And from the very beginning of his ministry here on earth, what was, how, did he, how did he do that? What was his mission? And it was preaching repent. All the gospels speak to that. The first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, say it very straightforwardly. All the gospels bear record of Jesus preaching repentance. Gospel of Mark put it very succinctly. At the outset of his mission here on earth, Jesus said these words, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the kingdom of God has come near. Hey, there's the vision. He's looking for the kingdom. And here's the mission, repent. Here's his mission, repent and believe the good news. Now those in the communications field They might call that a combined vision and mission statement. The vision is the kingdom. The mission is preaching repentance. Believe so that you can come into the kingdom. And this mission of Christ's, his mission here on earth, it reached a pinnacle at the cross. Jesus paid a ransom. We heard that earlier this morning. Jesus paid a ransom for the penalty of our sin, the precious blood of the sinless, spotless, sacrificial Lamb of God. The writer of the New Testament letter to the Hebrews wrote, for the joy set before him, let's look into something. The joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. He scorned its shame and he, sat down at the right hand of God, the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus sat down as a king, king of a kingdom, fulfilling that that vision that he had here 
on earth. He paid for sin by his blood so anyone can enter the kingdom. How? They repent of their sin. And they just receive the blood of Jesus that makes restitution before Almighty God, restitution for our sin. Now, following his death and his resurrection, what occurred? The followers of Jesus began the church. They began the church here on earth. And that church began as a vast array of cultures. And Acts chapter 2 talks about it. There were all these uh, cultures in Jerusalem, the city, the, the, the capital of the nation of Israel. And what were the cultures? Read Acts 2, and it lists about a dozen. There were Parthians and Medes and Elamites and Egyptians and Libyans and Cretans and Arabs, along with residents of Mesopotamia and Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, uh, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, all these people, all these various cultures. And in Acts 2, it says some were ethnic Jews and others were converts to Judaism. So what did they have as their common bond? It was their faith. And it was their Jewish faith. And there they were in the city of Jerusalem for a Jewish feast day. And Peter, one of Christ Jesus' apostles, began to preach. And he preached repentance. He preached repentance. He's following in the mission of Jesus. And the church began that day. 3,000 of this vast array of different cultures were baptized into Christ. And they changed their allegiance. They changed their allegiance to Jesus on that day. And then as the church began to move forward, we read that entire households were baptized into Christ. And there's examples, the household of Cornelius, which was a Roman family, and the household of Stephen, and the household of Lydia. She was European Again, a vast array of cultures and now households of all ages. How was the church comprised? Multicultural, multi-generational. Common bond was Jesus. Common bond, faith in Christ. And I want to say this morning, that's the vision that we maintain here at Bethesda Christian Church. To span the generations and to span the cultures. Multi-generational, multicultural, because that is the picture that was portrayed by the church that Jesus set in place. And amidst all of it, amidst all the diversity, the ages, the, the cultures, we have a unity, a unity. Our faith in Jesus, that's what bonds us together. That's our common link. And we set out as the church to fulfill the mission of the early church, which was preach repentance. That's foundational. And we'll keep it up. And others... Uh, so, so that others would be added to the kingdom and be baptized into Christ. That's the vision and the mission of the church. And all of us are a part of it. Every single person here, you're all a part of it. You're all necessary for it to function. And uh, we heard a little earlier about you know, opportunities to serve and all. When you give of your time, it's, it's amazing. And we heard this great uh, testimony from Linda Johnson. How many people supported her during uh, her need as she lost her husband? This is the body of Christ in action, giving of yourself. But for all of it to function too, it needs 
material support to, to hold up these walls. And what does that come from? It comes from our giving. Without all of us involved in giving, church couldn't operate. Church couldn't go on its mission and its, to fulfill its vision. So this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about this idea of giving. And we're going to talk about it because Jesus talked about it. He certainly did. And we can find some of his teaching on giving in Matthew chapter 6. It's the Sermon on the Mount. We've talked about it for several weeks. We've talked about the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where Jesus used this phrase, when you. And let's look at the beginning of Matthew chapter 6. I want to read verses 1 through 4. They read this way. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus' words, Jesus' words in the context here is giving to the needy, but there's a broader principle right at the start. There's a broader principle that he speaks of in that opening line, when you give, or, or for that matter, whatever you do, when you practice your righteousness, don't do it to be seen by others. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. That was, that was how he set it up. So whatever it is, giving or anything else, don't blow the trumpets. So what was Jesus getting at? What was Jesus getting at when he said this? Don't announce it with trumpets. Was, there, was he referencing some kind of practice uh, of the first century where people would give an offering and then blow a trumpet? Probably not. I think he was trying to make a point. And he's using this image, blowing the horn. You know, we, it, we would say, you're blowing your own horn. Now, how would this picture be relevant to Jesus' audience? What might they be thinking about this Jewish audience? And what about trumpets would perhaps come to their mind? Well, they would be familiar with trumpets being used uh, to sound an alarm, to gather troops for battle, to gather people for an assembly. Uh, trumpets were used to mark a sacrifice on certain feast days. And th those are examples they'd be familiar with. And then these, these, these two examples. In the Old Testament, uh, trumpets would be used to proclaim a king. The Old Testament says there was a king named Zadok and he took the horn of oil and he anointed a new king named David, or uh, Solomon, pardon me. And then they sounded the trumpet and all the people shouted, long live King Solomon. And that's 1 Kings chapter 1, Solomon's an anointing. And trumpets were also used to praise God. 
God has ascended amid shouts of joy, the Lord amid the sounding of trumpets. Psalm 47. And many of the other Psalms relate that same image. So Jesus, he said, don't announce your giving with trumpets. And he's, he's painting a caricature of a hypocrite. They make such a fanfare when they give. Not like they're not necessarily a physical trumpet, but they're making a scene. They're making such fanfare that says, hey, look at me. I'm like the king, like the announcement of a king or, or hey, look at me. Praise me for the great thing that I've done, like the trumpets used to praise God. And that is not really good. Jesus' point. If that's how you give, Jesus would say, you've got your reward. You've been paid in full. People have seen you. You have the approval of men. Doesn't make your heavenly father smile though. So give without the show. And does, does that mean you can never talk about it? You can never talk about your giving? You can never speak of generosity? No, that, that's not the case. But it puts before us a question. If these things come up, why are we talking about it? Why would we be speaking of our giving? What is the intent? What's our motivation? Is it our intention to gain recognition? To be commended by others? Well, that's the wrong motive. This is what Jesus is saying. That's the wrong intention. Could it be you're talking about it to encourage someone? Could it be that you're speaking of the blessings of being a generous person? Are you speaking of giving as an act of worship? Are you talking about glorifying God? When we speak in those ways with humility and not pride, we're not making it a matter of pride, that's okay. So, so we can apply this and we can apply all of it, all of it to, to a broader aspect of giving beyond the example of just giving to the needy. In the mind of Jesus' original audience there, there's, remember this is a, a multitude of people. They're sitting on a hillside. Jesus is teaching them. And he's talking about giving to the needy. It's just one aspect of their giving though. I'm guessing it might have brought to mind other areas of giving. When you give, yeah, when you give to the needy, of course. But also, what would be what would be part and parcel to the Jewish way of life? When you give to the priests, when you give to the temple, when you make an offering to the Lord. In all of these areas of giving, just check your intention. In the Jewish culture, giving was a very important part of life. Again, remember this original audience in Matthew chapter 6 there. Ordinary folks, ordinary, average, everyday Jewish people, and he said to them, when you give, not if you give. And he followed that. And we've talked about it. When you pray, and what are, what, what's Jesus talking about here? He's talking about common activities, everyday activities, things that are normal in your life, expected, ongoing, not optional, not occasional. 
As a matter of fact, he started with giving before he got to prayer. So it wouldn't be shocking for them to hear when you give because giving was just part of their life. It was an expected part of their life. Giving to the Lord, supporting the priests, maintaining uh, God's house, giving to the poor and needy, all of it. The Old Testament, which was their holy book, it's rich with passages that describe giving. About giving to the needy, Leviticus 23, it says, don't reap the corners of your fields. Don't cut down your entire field. Why? So that the poor person, the needy person can come and they'll have something to eat too. They can pick something. So think about that. Leviticus 25 just says, if there's any poor, help them. Help the poor. And then in Deuteronomy 15, it relates how to do that. Deuteronomy 15 the middle of the chapter there, verse 7 and 8, it says, if, if there's any poor among you, don't be hard-hearted and don't be tight-fisted toward them. Next line, I command you. I command you to be open-handed toward those who are poor and needy in the land. So for the Jewish people, giving to the poor wasn't an option. It was a command. And it was a command that followed after all the other commands to take care of the Lord's priests and take care of the Lord's house and to bring in the tithes, supporting for God's house and all those uh, caring for the house. This was commanded, giving to the needs of all of these. This was embedded into the Jewish faith and culture from very early on. And so, so Jesus speaking to this crowd, I think they're, I think they're getting what his point is. They'd understood. God had established a system for his kingdom here on earth. All the people on the hillside, they'd have been well acquainted with that. God had detailed the system to the great leader Moses. This was, this was the, the bedrock of the Jewish faith, Moses. God had given him this detailed system. He laid out the method of support for the provision and maintenance of God's house, his tabernacle. But first, God outlined the people that care for the house. They, they need to be taken care of. And how is that going to work? They're, they were to care for the people who were going to care for God's house who were called the Levites. The Levites, they came from the line of Levi, one of Israel's sons. And the workers in the house were all to be Descendants of Levi. And how are they taken care of? When they first received land, when the whole nation come into the promised land, it was given to them. It was given to them by all the various other tribes. And Numbers chapter 35 talks about this. And, and it's going to get to the point of just how this giving was conducted. So Numbers 35, 1 and 2, it says, On the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho, the Lord said to Moses, command the Israelites, again a command, command the Israelites to give the Levites towns to live in from the inheritance the Israelites will possess and give them pasture lands around the towns. Then they will have towns to live in and pasture lands for the cattle they own and all the other animals. So here it is. Give them land and Moreover, God did not make providing of the land 
easy for the bigger tribes and a burden for the smaller tribes. So let's, let's read God's instruction on how that was to be accomplished. And that's verse 8 in Numbers 35. The towns you give the Levites from the land the Israelites possess are to be given in proportion to the inheritance of each tribe. Take many towns from a tribe that has many, but few from one that has few. So here we gain some insight into the heart of God. The burden wasn't to be out of balance. The burden was to be born equally, spread equally, a proportion of what each tribe had. The bigger tribes would give more, the smaller tribes would give less, but overall, an equal share, and an equal percentage. So this was proportional giving. And that same principle was used to support God's house. A proportion, a percentage, a tenth, a tenth, a tithe, not a fixed amount. Because a fixed amount, that, that could really be a burden on someone who didn't have a lot and on somebody who had a whole, a whole overwhelming amount, a rich person, it would just be nothing. So the burden was equal by being proportional. And the Old Testament speaks about it. It speaks about tithing and actual multiple tithes, tithes for Levites, tithes for the temple and feasts and tithes for the, fo- uh, for the poor. And this was the principle. The principle is the tenth. It was a principle established early on from Abraham when he gave a tenth to, Mel- to Melchizedek, the priest. And in the New Testament, Jesus spoke about this idea of tithing. And I'll give you one verse from Matthew chapter 23. It's verse 23. It says, woe to you. Teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices. So they tithe. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, dill, and cumin. But you've neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter. should have tithed without neglecting the former. So Jesus confronted the Pharisees. And he condemned their, their hypocritical tithing because they were neglecting mercy, compassion, Now, let's look at the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is not condemning there. He's instructing. He is kindly instructing. But he's instructing a very similar thing. Don't be hypocritical. Be careful not to practice all this righteousness in front of others so that you can be seen. See, Jesus understood the human desire for popularity, to be recognized. So it doesn't feel good to be noticed. It does. It feels great to be noticed. People, hey, you're a great guy. You're a great person. Love you. Yeah, of course it feels wonderful. But when you give, don't make that your motive. Well, that was instruction of Jesus to the people. And it, it paralleled his firm approach to the hypocritical Pharisees. Because Jesus recognized the significance of giving. The importance of giving. He, he recognized not only the significance of of giving from your heart, but the proportional aspect too. The tenth is the principle. And we should recognize Jesus' teaching as well. And when you give, when you give, when you tithe, have the right heart, have the right attitude. And if you give to be seen and commended, you got the blessing of the people. But God's blessing. 
Jesus says, that's really not going to follow. Because the Lord knows your heart. Jesus said, your Father in heaven sees. Your Father in heaven sees the secret things in your heart. No one else knows your heart. But it's wide open to God. He sees the secret things in your heart. He sees the intent. So when giving is a matter of of humility, and it's an inward action, not concerned about being seen, God's blessing follows. And how does God's blessing come? Well, it is not. If you give a dollar, God gives you 10 or 100 in return. That's not how it works. If it worked that way, there'd be so many people who wouldn't need anything. They'd be, they would be rich beyond imagination. But God's method doesn't work that way. He meets our needs. And he blesses in all kinds of ways. I want to share just a brief uh, story, testimony, if you will, about a a lady here at the church. She's been part of this church for a good number of years. But I remember when she first came here to Bethesda. And in those first early years, she was going through some very difficult times. Very, very difficult turmoil in her life. Becoming a single mother. Suddenly uh, uprooted. She you know, had difficulty with place to stay, etc., needing transportation. And in that, you know, just very early getting to know her as she's coming to the church, someone gave her a car. Someone helped her with a car. And that was an amazing day. And meanwhile, she's settling in here after having attended the Unity Church and just coming to know Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I've, I've observed this lady become a true woman of faith, trusting God and being blessed by God. And she would tell you, I have been blessed so much. I don't have all, it. we need days. I don't have enough time to tell you. And you know what? I, I know this woman is also a giver. Now, has she sounded the trumpets? No. Has she made a scene about it? No. Have I checked the records of her giving? No. No, checking records is not anything I do anyway. I do not, that's not my practice at all. But there is a heart, there is an attitude, there is a desire that can be seen about helping others. And it's not tight-fisted, it's open-handed. And that says to me, she is giving in every area of her life. And I would say that includes tithing to the Lord. And I've heard uh, a little bit more. This, this Wednesday, I was reminded that it's just got to be true. I was sitting at a table on Wednesday night, and this uh, same lady was part of the discussion. And, and just a, a side here, if you're not coming out on Wednesday night, you're missing, a, you're missing something. We've been talking... The word of God, the word on Wednesdays. And let me tell you, it's been wowing a lot of us. That's the word on Wednesdays. It's been powerful. We've been sharing some insights from God's word and having some great times of discussion. 
And this past Wednesday was no different. We were discussing a passage from the book of Judges and a question about God's promises and how they're evident in our life. And I wrote down what this, what this lady said. She said, God is my provider. Huge smile, just huge smile on her face. I don't have much, but I have never gone hungry. And then she said this, and I always have something to share. And, I, and I'll tell you, it was not bragging. It was not prideful. It wasn't blowing the horn. It wasn't announcing giving at all. No, no, it was a testimony honoring God, glorifying God as my provider. It expresses this giving heart. And this is God's word in the New Testament. Have that heart. Don't give reluctantly. God loves the cheerful giver. And he sees the cheerful, humble heart. So don't have that prideful, horn-blowing heart. God blesses the quiet, humble heart. And here's someone who says, I've never gone hungry. I always have something to share. And this is a heart of trust. And it's a heart of worship. A heart that says, I'm given to God. I'm given to God. I'm worshiping God as my provider. When I, when I release that gift, when I'm not tight-fisted. And I worship you, God, as my provider. That's the attitude to have. You know, we give to God. And when our gift is given here in the church, see it as a gift to God. See it as a gift to God, not to an organization, not to a person. Yes, God's entrusted the leadership here with uh, responsibilities. And it's a great responsibility to steward what's, what comes into his church, his church. And we take that responsibility very seriously to maintain this all that God has blessed us with, the buildings, the grounds, and we want to continue to do that so that the many ministries here Ministries for people who might come in broken, a marriage broken, so they come into divorce care, or they've lost a loved one, they come into grief share, or they, they want to learn more about Christ Jesus, they, they want to take a rooted class. We have all kinds of ministries, and to keep them all going, that's the responsibility to take in what we have and steward it. So it can all continue and the mission to bring people to repentance and to, to, to disciple them to know the word and live the word and spread the word so that all can happen and fulfill the Lord's vision for the, the church, for his kingdom to be open to all. It's something we don't take lightly. And as I close this morning, I want to share with you just some perspective of that. A perspective about your church. God's house. It's really his church. It's all of our responsibility, our shared responsibility. And I want to share with you just briefly some things that were part of our State of the Church address, which was on a Wednesday last month. And I know many of you were here, but many of you weren't. And I think it'll just give you a little perspective of all that God's blessed us with, all we're caring for, all that we have here as part of Bethesda. So we have this, uh, this physical structure that God has entrusted to all of us. 
And that photo right there, I just want to say, it's amazing. And that's what God has blessed us with. And I want to say thank you to our elders, uh, Steve Wanamaker and Mike Choir. Steve was piloting a plane and Mike Choir was doing the aerial photography to, to, to take that photo of God's blessing. Our grounds, our grounds are nearly 90 acres and there's 55 acres of grass to cut, 620,000 square feet of parking lot and roads to plow. Yesterday it snowed. We had upward basketball going on, two funerals. Plows were here. People working hard behind the scenes, plowing salt and taking care of the roadways. 250,000 square feet of building, almost 200,000 or just a little more uh, of rooftop. And then a little of the more uh, mundane, 41 restrooms, two commercial kitchens, two gymnasiums, heating and cooling all of it with 79 units on the roofs. And you know, there's, there's five areas in this place, five that seat more than 400. Isn't that amazing? I mean, this room right here, plus uh, we, we have our uh, chapel, our auditorium, we have our dining rooms, we have over on um, the, the school side, our social centrum or our cafeteria. It's, it's an amazing, amazing amount of uh, space to take care of. Uh, and along with all these uh, buildings and grounds, some of the things that we've taken care of over the last couple of years. Upgraded lights and sound systems. We've had some major roof repairs done. The roofs aren't leaking like they were before. Our parking lots are smooth. You loving those smooth parking lots? The, the potholes. Hey, listen, I drive down Garfield. Let me tell you, when I get here, I'm like, thank you, Lord. <sighs> if you're driving Garfield between 17 and 19 mile road, forget about it. Buy a new suspension. You need a truck. Uh, I'm so glad when I get here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Over the past two years, these things have been taken care of. Nearly $1.8 million invested in, in uh, God is good. God is good. It's almost nearly all paid for, which is amazing. The, the one area, we, we've upgraded the lights throughout to LED lighting and hey, DTE offered a 0% five-year note. Why not take it, take advantage of it? So we did. And the savings on the electric bill almost take care of that. So it's a great thing. And as we look toward the future and the coming years, we've got some things to focus on just in the physical structure here. And I think it's great to share that with all of you. And we're going to focus on the heating and the air conditioning units, most of them are original. 50 of them up on the roofs are still original, 33 years old. There's another bunch, about 18, that are 20 years old. We want to deal with them. We want to take care of them. These units are sized by the tonnage, cooling side. And uh, if we put it all together, it's about 465 tons that we need to deal with. It's an average of about $1,500 a ton, 2000 to install each unit. 68 units. But we want to continue working on that. We are. And I want you to know that. And we want to continue to maintain our roofs. We've had them professionally inspected and assessed. And uh, if you see on the screen, we have them sectioned off. Sections 1, 2, 5, 9, 10, I think. They're all in good shape. Our next area of concern is 
number seven, which is about 30,000 square feet. And we know from replacing number five and nine just recently, we're looking at about four, $4.50, 451 to be exact, per square foot. And I hope that gives you a little perspective, a little perspective about when you give, where it's going, what, what we're doing, what we have to maintain. Uh, we discussed this in depth at our State of the Church address. We gave an hour and a half to it to discuss all these things. But I want to share with you um, how I closed that. I didn't really take care of that meeting. There's a lot of people here that deserve credit. And I want you to know it's not me. That uh, our treasurer, Todd Carley, had uh, discussed all of this. And there's many others. Brian Swartz and his team were here plowing yesterday. There's just so many who are taking care of things. And and too many to, to list, but they're here and they're serving. They take the responsibility so seriously. Uh, and I want to share with you just how I closed that evening. And that was uh, this. That I want to ask you, I want to ask you to, to make a consideration and make it a matter of prayer, of prayer. We talked about prayer for three weeks. Make it a matter of prayer. And if you would consider taking on some of this. Sponsor, you could sponsor a ton, for example. It's an average of 1,500 a ton. And we need, we need to replace 39 immediately. 39 tons at six units. They're, they have to be taken care of immediately. Perhaps you could sponsor one, two, ten, I don't know, whatever God would lead you. Maybe roofing, $4.51 a square foot. Could you support 100 square feet, 1,000 square feet? I want to tell you, I'm not ushering in some capital campaign. I'm not asking you for pledges. There's no pledge cards coming today. There isn't. No, no. We're not going to put up, you know, thermometers on the wall or none of that. Uh, But I'm just asking you to prayerfully consider it. Prayerfully consider it. After that, that meeting, that Wednesday evening meeting, Someone walked up to me, not blowing their horn. This was not a horn blowing. They said, I'll have, I'll, I'm, I'm given a ton. You'll have my check before Monday. I'll bring it to the office. I was like, God bless you. And by that, by that Monday, I think we had, we had over 20 ton already spoken for. I think it was 25, something around there. Which, so, yeah, so thank you, thank you, thank you, and God bless you. Uh, and I know that He will, because He does. Because I've heard the testimony God's my provider, and my needs have been met. We're going to continue moving forward to take care of these things, and I hope that you can see that we are. What, if you were here and you saw, the parking lots get repaired and the lights to get upgraded. We want to take care of God's house. And so many of you have been so faithful. Thank you. This is God's house. It's God's house, but it's our house to maintain together. And we share that responsibility and that commitment. 
so that we can have a place. We can have a warm place on a cold day and a cool place on a hot day to, to allow these ministries to unfold and for the love of Christ to be shared with others so that we can have this place to continue uh, the mission to fulfill Jesus' vision. So please talk about it. Talk about it in your household. I don't mean go talk about it and say, hey, tell, tell, so don't blow your horn. Don't blow your horn. Just in your house, talk about it. Pray about it individually. And you can make your intention known if you, you know, you want to give one twelfth of a ton a month or whatever. Mark it down on the little purple envelope, uh, which is for the, the building fund, 50 square feet, whatever. If you give online, you can just note it. I know you can there. But make it a matter of your heart. Make it a matter of your heart as Christ taught. Cheerfully. Trusting. Worshiping God as your provider. Well, what better way to worship God as your provider? And give from what he's given you. And pray about it. Pray about it. How you might uh, support the kingdom of God here on earth. Now every Sunday... Every second Sunday, we close our service with a call to these altars for prayer. For anyone who's suffering with an illness, for anyone who's uh, suffering, recovering from a surgery, dealing with uh, any kind of physical issue, or dealing with a decision. You, maybe you got to change your job. Maybe you have to move. Lord, what should I do? God, help me. Speak to me. These altars are open for that. And our elders are here to pray with you for any of those situations. But also, you know, the area of giving, even if that's been a struggle. They can say, you know, Lord, help me, help me. So we're going to open these altars right now. And all our elders, I want to just invite you here to pray, to pray. The word of God tells us. Does any... Among you sick, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the elders will pray the prayer of faith and the Lord will raise you up. And we want to pray that before we leave this morning. But to pray for every need and all needs, all areas of struggle in our heart, any decision that we have to make, God is faithful. He will meet us. We've as I said, we spent three weeks talking about prayer and it's powerful. And we believe the word of God that he'll meet us right here at these altars. And if you want to be anointed with oil and you're in the back and you can't walk all this way, just raise your hand. We have someone who will pray with you. So let's take some time this morning to pray before we go. Meet God, talk to him. Allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in you through these elders who have laid their hearts right at the foot of the cross. They, they want to and take it serious. This is another area of ministry that's not looked at lightly. It's a responsibility that isn't considered lightly. No. We want to be vessels and channels of this, the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Before we come in on Sunday mornings, we take time to pray these elders take time to pray so that they can be used by God for you. So come to these altars. God, we just pray, Lord, for every need here that 
that hearts would respond. People would come. Lord, you're our provider. You're our healer. You're our deliverer. God, whatever's on our heart, help us to have the humility to step forward, come forward, come to the the altars, pray, bind our faith with with an elder of the church and believe you're going to do something. God, we pray and we ask it in Jesus' name.